I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Time for our opening drive. All right, Dan. So 1914 was the score. The Bears basically outscored the Chiefs reserves. The first team Chiefs offense ran, moved the ball at will against the Bears defense and Certainly the, the Chiefs' number one defense frustrated the Bears' offensive line in the first third down. Michael Schofield, that's not a play that he wants to remember. But overall, I, before we get into some of these the specifics about Justin Fields, generally speaking, how would you describe what happened Saturday on the lakefront? Yeah, we'll have a segment to really dive into what we saw from Justin. But I think that, uh, you know, you know, the old golden rule in the NFL, you never turn down a 1914 victory in August. Right, David? So if you can walk out of Soldier Field with a, a feel good about the way that the, the, the twos responded in the second half. And I was joking with Mark Potash in the press box saying, can you do the research and find out if this is their biggest comeback in a preseason win since, you know, what year? I don't know. Obviously, the final result doesn't matter. But I think what you saw is what Matt Eberflus promised when he took the job, that his team was going to play with fire and passion and hustle and intensity. And in a lot of ways, you saw that from the culture that they've set in the spring and the summer. And you saw that from the types of players they brought in. Obviously, I think a lot of people walked away from their television set or from Soldier Field on Saturday afternoon and said, Jaquan Brisker plays the way a Matt Eberflus defense should play. Flying around, no regard for, for, for anyone right or anything, trying to make plays on the ball, or if not plays on the ball, plays on the person carrying the ball at all times. And so those are the types of positive scene uh, signs and, and, and things that you need to see from this team as they go forward to, to understand that there is going to be an identity to this group, and that's what it's going to look like. I also give Matt Eberflus a lot of credit, David, for, for just, look, we, we talked about it at the end of the, the last Last episode that this was going to be his first time overseeing a game right and being on the headset and communicating and making decisions and doing all these other things it seemed to be a smooth operation all things considered with the context of it just being an early uh, August game in the preseason of his first season there were things there that you said okay that that looked competent and it didn't look sloppy and that's something to build on you know we'll have a combination of big picture observations and zeroing in on the details but I think for the first preseason game of, of the GM's tenure and the coach's tenure. I, I'm going to go big picture here. I think that number one, as you pointed out, 
Matt Eberflus had a good day. The mechanics were sound. They got in and out of huddles. They were definitely uh, penalty-free. Yeah. And I think that when you look at the mechanics of the coaching, it was solid by the entire staff. Luke Getzey huddling with Justin Fields on the sideline, that was valuable. And I think that's going to be a big asset for having – uh, the offensive coordinator right there for the young quarterback. I also love seeing Matt Eberflus writing down notes to himself, wondering how many acronyms he could fit into one index card <laughs> during a, one series. But I do think in seriousness, that was good because he wants to learn from it. So I think from a coaching perspective, we saw evidence that the players were actually, you know, he, they were getting through to those players. Big picture from the GM perspective, you know, Ryan Poles, I'll be the first to tell you and have and repeated myself, He's had a clumsy offseason up to this point off the field in terms of eva- in terms of administration duties. Like, you know, for any we don't need to go relitigate it, but Larry Ogunjobi and some of these other things were sort of missteps or inexperienced type of type of things. And yet there are two phases to a GM to me: the administrative aspect of the job and then the evaluation part of it. And I think what Saturday we saw was. Ryan Poles might be a pretty decent talent evaluator. Very small sample size. Very small, yeah. Probably a a gross overreaction. But this rookie class has some talent. You mentioned Brisker. We saw Braxton Jones. We saw a lot of examples. Jack Sanborn, not going to get carried away by that guy. But you know what? (laughs) He deserves some praise. That rookie class as a whole looked like a bunch of guys that they knew what they were doing when they were drafting them. Well, and the the, the footnote to that uh, on, a, on a negative side is we didn't get to see Kyler Gordon or Velas Jones, right? And these two guys now have to, uh, they're back on the practice field Monday. Uh, we'll see what their, what their playtime load looks like if there is any playtime on Thursday in Seattle. But those are guys that you're counting on in a major way, both on offense and defense to, to help you. And so they need to get those guys back on the field. Uh, I, I, look, I, th- I think they went after a specific brand of player in this draft. Obviously took a bunch of offensive linemen on day three, but wanted hungry football players who are athletic. And we saw a bunch of that on Saturday. And you, you, Dominique Robinson, another guy who flashed, obviously had a sack that the Chiefs basically gave to him. But still, he was there and ready to make his play when it was there. And so that's uh, certainly a promising sign. And as you know, a lot of this stuff ultimately will circle back to the guy that the previous regime drafted, wearing the number one jersey, who is going to be the number one spotlit guy that, that we watch for the, for most of the year. So let's talk about Justin Fields. I thought in going four of seven, he saw some good things. We saw some things that were reminders of that he's a, a work in progress, some things that look very familiar from his rookie season. Um, overall, how would you assess the step that he took and how big it was on Saturday? Well, I like Justin's own self-assessment after the game when he came to the podium uh, and was asked to, to, to kind of evaluate 18 snaps, right? They, they ran 18 snaps over three drives on Saturday, and Justin said it was all right. It was all right. It was it was in that very ho hum Justin tone, and I agree with them. It was all right. You know, there were some things that were were nice and some things that were not so nice. And at the end of the day, it was it was all right. And and so there there is a lot there. Um, obviously, I think throughout the year we're going to put our spotlight on Justin and and do a QB one segment after he plays games and maybe. Some of these games will be Trevor Simeon's QB1 uh, option to, to be reviewed. But I think, Justin, like when I start, right, the defining moment for me, David, was the 26-yard pass to Darnell Mooney, which was – I wrote about it after the game. It was the biggest play for the Bears from scrimmage on the day. And it also might have been the biggest play in significance to their long-term potential because in my mind, listening to both Darnell and Justin describe the play after the game and Justin label it as routine, which was his indicator that when he got up to the line of scrimmage, recognized the coverage he was getting, saw the receiver that he loves – 
in the slot with a matchup he liked and said, this is going to be a big gain. That confidence comes from preparation. That confidence comes from chemistry with one another. That confidence comes with knowing what you're seeing and being able to execute against what you're seeing. And so that pass with, with Darnell running a very crisp route, getting a nice little pick from, from Equinemius St. Brown, Justin putting the ball where only Darnell could get it, and then Darnell going to get it. That's a big sign, right? It's one small play from an August game that ended, uh, you know, that, that with a drive that ended in a punt, but it tells you that your quarterback and your top receiver are on the same page and everybody else better follow suit. I'll go with the defining moment, the pass completion to Tajay Sharp. That was the only other big play that really Justin Fields had uh, that was a positive play. And I think that because of the way it went down is why I would call it defining. He's going to need some help from his receivers. He's going to need some luck. He had both on that play. It wasn't – I am not going to be the one necessarily – like a lot of people in town and across the country to gush over the type of throw that it was. Yeah. I'm not so sure it was that great of a throw. I'm with you. It ended up being exactly where it needed to be. I'm not sure if that was accidental or on purpose, because if you have a different defensive back with one with a little bit more uh, experience or savvy, he might've picked that off and gone the other way as it was, you know, Justin Fields read what he read, got rid of it just as he got hit and put it to the one spot that Tajay Sharp came down with the ball that probably should have been an incompletion, but it wasn't. And that now we're ca calling it a great throw and the, it moved the chain. So I think that it was defining in that it underscored just how much luck and help Justin Fields is going to need this year from his teammates and just from the, the football gods. That's not a criticism, but I think overall my reaction to his play on Saturday was similar to his reaction. Okay, fine, good. Yeah, no doubt about it. it but it, it brings me to the, the on the bright side portion of this review, which I think, number one, you talk about huddle mechanics, right? They got in and out of the huddle. They didn't have sloppiness. They didn't have pre-snap penalties. They seemed to know what they were seeing. And on that play, Tataja Sharp, before the throw, there's several things that Justin does, right? He recognizes pressure coming from his left. He adjusts the protection. Okay, good sign from a young quarterback gives a hand signal out to his right to Tajay Sharp saying, Hey, we've got, we've got, you know, it's coming hot here. You better be ready. I'm going to come to you with a specific kind of route. Tajay Sharp acknowledges and, and, and runs the route the way it is. And then Justin stands in the protection adjustment. Didn't stop all the pressure from getting home. And Justin takes a hit as he throws that ball and the willingness to stand in there, convert a third and nine. I think it was a 19 yard gain on the play. Those are big moments in the regular season that we're going to be talking about. If your starting quarterback can convert third and nine, keep, a drive going, prevent a you know a punting situation and turn it into a field goal or maybe a touchdown. All of a sudden, you've got you've got things that you can build on. And in that regard, I thought Justin was sharp. I will stay with you on the bright side. There, his recognition was a, a plus, and I think that Luke Getzey had to be pleased with the way that he made some uh, pre-snap decisions, which I think were always an issue last year. But they were trying to do a lot more last year and to complicate themselves. And I, th I really like the way that Getsy approached Saturday. So I think that was something on the bright side. In the uh-oh category, yeah. our next category, I think that there's still a tendency for Justin Fields, like any young quarterback, to come off his first read too quickly. Now, we're only judging seven passes or so. So I know that everyone else's uh-oh is, is the, the slide that he could have done better. You can get to that. I will. But I'll stick with the, the first read, you know, not very coming off and not maybe being patient or – making the first read and making the simple throw and not trying to move off it too fast, play too fast. Sometimes that's always a concern. Can you handle the speed of the game? Sometimes 
a quarterback in Justin Fields' case can can play faster than the than the tempo, and I think he he can get ahead of himself a little bit if he's just a little bit more patient, maybe a little bit more composed. The decision making will become more natural, and I think that's going to be the evolution that that we see. But we just we didn't see it because Saturday was his first time out. So my oh moment ties into that, and it is as you mentioned, it's the scramble and the slide. And the sack. That play is a zero-yard gain, and it goes in the scorebook as a sack because Juan Thornhill comes in and 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 makes you make a decision that you don't want to make. It was a little bit of a clumsy slide by Justin, and he takes a, a hit that, that most of Bears Nation thinks should have resulted in a, a five-year jail sentence for Juan Thornhill or at the very <laughs> least a 15-yard penalty. But I, I was very curious to uh, know how Luke Getze judged that because from the press box, David, when it was happening in live motion, you get that bird's-eye view and you say, boy, Justin just took off from a, a pocket that was pretty clean, and you don't want that to happen when, when, when you're trying to go through things. And so I asked Getze on Monday exactly what he saw in that sequence. Here was his uh, response. Yeah, that, that was good. I mean, he, he, he vacated too quickly. You know, he, he skipped number two in the progression. He kind of went left, right, and then and, and, uh, they took away number one. So that was a great job by him of getting back. But then I think he just he got out of there a little too quick. And, and you know, that was the one play, honestly, that I, I wish we had back for him. And uh, the other guys each had, had, had one or two that were the same thing, where we just kind of all – where we, we haven't done that in the last couple of weeks here out, out here. But the, the flow of the game, it speeds everything up a little bit. So uh, I like – you know, I, I love the decision to slide, obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he had a chance to maybe hang in there just a tick longer. I like what he had to say, Dan. I think I like a lot of what I heard from Luke Getze. I, second week in a row, I found myself listening to him speak at House Hall, nodding along with him and admiring the common sense approach that he has taken, not only to maybe coaching this young quarterback and running this offense, but also in explaining what he's doing and the standards that he's going to set here. Well, one more thought from Luke Getze. I asked him following that just what he does to coach a quarterback through those situations to to, to maybe help him understand you can stay in there a, a tick longer and the play may result in a bigger gain for us and certainly not in a play that gets you hit by a, a safety who's coming in to take your head off. Yeah, that, that's experience. I mean, he's 23, right? I mean, like that's that's you can only get that by playing and, and practice is, is great. Uh, but it's not a game, and so that's you know that's why it's important that he gets a few reps each of these preseason games just to get get that uh, under his belt. And then I think you know the more he plays this year, the better he's going to get that feeling. And pocket presence is not a easy thing to teach, um, but he's got the toughness and the guts to do it. So like that's the you know when you're when you're evaluating quarterbacks, that's one of the first things I'm looking for is does somebody have the have that uh, willingness to stand in there, make a throw with their feet in the ground, and get smacked in the in the jaw. So, and he definitely has that. David, you hear Luke there, and 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 I'm very appreciative of his willing to be critical of his starting quarterback and be very illuminating with the way he describes things. And so he's willing to to, to highlight some positives, willing to point out some negatives, and really be honest with the feedback that he not only gives Justin behind the scenes, but that he gives the rest of the world in terms of the 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 speed and the rate and the the current status of Justin's development. Because the criticism isn't really that critical. The the, the coaching points come out as helpful more than harmful in terms of being attacking or being, you know, even insulting or he does it with a tone that always seems like he's trying to get the most out of the player. And I think players eventually respond to that. And you're also talking about the guy. Let's remember his frame of reference. And we're never going to forget it because we'll remember it every time that we hear from Luke Getze. He coached the MVP 
You know, he's coming from a situation where Aaron Rodgers didn't make many of these mistakes. He had outgrown yeah. them 12 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever the case. So he's adjusting to seeing somebody that's the finished product to somebody who is, you know, the, this mo the, this big mo clay, and he's going to mold it into hopefully a franchise quarterback. So he's got to be excited about that. But the way that he has approached it gives you a lot of confidence that he knows what he's doing. I've got more thoughts on that, and Luke's got more thoughts on that in a minute. It leads us perfectly to, to my big number from Saturday's game, and my big number is the zero that was hanging on the scoreboard under the name Bears at halftime. The first unit offense had three series. They picked up four first downs, 78 yards or 76 yards. I have to double-check that, and didn't put points on the board, and that has to change, right? We can do all this praising of the little things, all this praising of these throws that produce 20-yard gains and convert third downs and whatever else it is. You have to score points in the NFL. And, David, for me, the contrast was there when the Kansas City Chiefs took their opening possession of the game and sent out Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes said, hey, you want to watch this? Bing, bing, boom, 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 boom. 11 plays, 72 yards, touchdown. Mahomes was so efficient on that drive, David, that you, you go watch his press conference from after Saturday's game, and Chiefs reporters are asking him about the one incompletion he threw. What happened, Patrick? Right? Like, so surprised that it wasn't seven for seven that they're asking him what happened on the incompletion while we're fixated on Justin Fields hitting these throws to Tajay Sharp and Darnell Mooney. And it's just a, a reminder that if the Bears want to be great, right? That is the goal. They want to be great. They need their franchise quarterback to be great. They need to raise the bar and they need to get this stuff out of there. And so just really quick, I asked Luke, obviously what you just mentioned, when you spend all this time in green Bay and you, you're with a four time MVP quarterback and you're with a well-oiled machine as an offense, and then you come here and you've got to take on this work in progress project. How do you kind of calibrate your patience levels and change your perspective, knowing that this isn't going to be that here's what he had to say there. Yeah, I think there's a there's a balance in my you know from the experience. There's a balance between demand and patience, and uh, setting an expectation and letting them know it's not okay for some things. And then at some points, you have to always remember to uh, to go pat them on the back too, and let them know that you care about them too. Because I do, and 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 uh, but there's got to be a demand too. There's got to be an expectation. Uh, we have we set our standards really high, and I don't really care if it was three months or three years into this thing. So, so we got to make sure we go meet those standards. Now, I hate comparing one regime to the other because I think it's it's counterproductive and irrelevant most of the time. But I am struck by how how Luke Getzey speaks in a way that he never seems like he's trying to prove how smart he is or yeah. where he came from, and he's not the one necessarily reminding us that he did come from Green Bay and he did coach a four-time MVP. And this is an adjustment for him because I don't think that he, uh, at least early on, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see many signs of a large ego. And sometimes that can saddle uh, a coach, uh, as we have seen here in Chicago, whether it's a position coach or the head coach or a coordinator. But I don't sense that yet from Luke Getzey, and that's refreshing. Not only do you not sense it, you hear from people around the league that have worked with them, whether it's Nathaniel Hackett, who's now the head coach in Denver, whether it's the praise of a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who loved his time with Luke Getzey, whether it's Devontae Adams, who worked with him originally as a receivers coach and says, man, this guy is an absolute wonderful coach and he's a tremendous communicator. And now we're getting to experience that communication style that he has, just how natural and organic and direct and honest it is without any of that extra ego 
uh, to, to, to frost it over. And so you, you listen to him there in that clip. He says, there's got to be a demand. There's got to be an expectation. This is what Bears fans have been yelling at their televisions for 25 years now, right? Like raise the bar. Raise the bar, Bears organization. And so I'm thrilled that the guy who who may be one of the most three important people in the building right now, and Luke Getze, is making sure that, that Justin Fields and the rest of that offense understand where the bar is and that there's a demand and an expectation. And he doesn't care if it's the third month of the third year. He's going to make sure that they understand exactly what it is they're trying to get done. That's wonderful stuff. Last thought on Fields the, with Steve Spagnolo throwing some blitzes <laughs> at him. I think that uh, in, in Seattle on Thursday night, you never know what they're going to have in store. Pete Carroll and Sean Desai, who's the associate head coach, and that defense may come after him. And I hope they do because that's the best way you learn. That's the best way you progress. And I hope he gets more than 18 plays because that will be the next challenge. And if you want to raise the bar, it gets a little bit higher out in Seattle. Yeah, there's no tried and true formula anymore. Uh, it's not the four-game preseason uh, schedule that we're used to. And so every team and every coaching staff has a different way of divvying up their playing time. It's going to be interesting to see how how Fluce and company handles this one on, a, on, a, on an abbreviated week, right? They go out Thursday night to play this one. And obviously, they want to get some important work done and, and obviously get back on that plane with everyone healthy.